it's like um, it feels like a doctor's surgery when you're sitting here for somebody to press the button and be admitted online. And then I start getting nervous. I've got the wrong day and the and the wrong time. And do we actually know who's coming? (laughs) (laughs) Who are we expecting? It's um... oh, here we go. Lee's here. Welcome to the Respectfully Podcast. I'm Lauren Stowe. And I'm Nikki Pope. And today we have got joining us uh, Lee Stafford and Phil Smith. I'm sure everyone has heard of these uh, huge hairdressing names. Um, obviously, Phil Smith um, has been in the industry for about 35 years. And he started off as a Tony and Guy salon franchisee. Um, I think he said he was number seven to start up, but he then went on to have 28 salons with them. So that's amazing um he started the be uh, phil smith be gorgeous line uh, product line in 2007 and then he opened a separate salon on his own called smith england in 2014 um, and his wife louise smith still runs a franchise salon uh, tony and guy salon in salisbury so yeah it'd be great to catch up with him find out what he's what he's been up to yeah um, and yeah accompanying him is lee stafford who re has reinvented himself well, a number of times, I'd say. Um, his br- product brand, which you'll see the bright pink on the, on the shelves of boots, um, has been going for 20 years. And education is a huge thing to him as well. I know he's got loads of uh, things going on in different colleges. Um, so it'd be great to catch up with them and talk to them about how they've kind of expanded out of the salon and diversified their business and their brands. Yeah, to make really interesting careers for themselves. So Absolutely. I think it's a long time since I've... Um, first heard their names and it's great to have them with us today. Yeah, yeah, to get them on. Hello. Hello. And welcome hey. to the Respectfully Podcast. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hi Lee Thank and hi Phil. Hi. Hi, hi guys. Thanks so much for joining us. I think really to start off with, so we've got Lee Stafford with us and Phil Smith. So we basically wanted to talk to you guys about diversifying your brand and telling us I think first of all kind of where what you've been up to we haven't heard from either of you for quite a while so it'd be great to just kind of touch base and find out a bit about what you've been doing and yeah so who who wants to go first <laughs> Lee do you want to go first right no you go first you go first oh. I'm intrigued to hear, <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued to hear your story <laughs> yeah, first come on then, Lee. <laughs> and then I'll try and make mine sound a little bit better <laughs> well I live in Sheffield now um, for the first time in my life. Um, unfortunately, we had an aggravated attack at our home where three masked men come bursting in with crowbars during the day when we was all there. My wife was six months pregnant. Uh, my other three children were three, two and one at the time. So it was uh, quite a traumatic ordeal. Luckily, we got out of the house, we escaped. There was some doors that we could close. We set off panic alarms and we got out. Yeah. Um, but, um, but we never went, we haven't, we haven't lived in the house since, you know, um, and we were planning on going back, but, um, my wife in the end was like, I'm not going back to London, there's no way I can go back to that house. So, uh, we ended up moving to Sheffield, okay. uh, four minutes away from Jess's mum and dad, which is great for Jess and the kids and for me, you know, happy wife, happy life, right, <laughs> Phil, as you said earlier. Uh, and, um... And it's been amazing, you know, wild horses couldn't have dragged me out of London before um, the attack, now wild horses couldn't drag me back. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not in the salon business anymore, mm-hmm. you know, we, um, I, I did open up some academies, okay. 
uh, in colleges. Um, we end, I think we've got 14 at the moment, but you know, colleges are all closed down. Yeah. Mm. Um, so there's nothing to be done there really. Um, so I've been at home, I've been focusing really on the brand. That's what I have been focusing yeah. on. So and, you know, with, you know, the way technology is at the moment, you can, you, can you know, pretty much work from anywhere yeah. if you're not yeah. cutting hair. Um, and um, so, you know, the Lee Stafford brand is 20 years young. Uh, wow. And, Congratulations, um, Lee. Yeah. excellent. Of, yeah. uh, thanks, mate. Fifth of June. And we've never, it's always been the same design yeah. for 20 years. It kind of went off track a little bit because the problem we have with my brand, you know, we ended up having over a hundred products. It was all the same colour pink and it just looked like a sea of pink. It was unshoppable in the end, basically. People couldn't find what they wanted. So anyway, so um, I've been working on redesigning the Lee Stafford brand. Right, okay. Uh, so, um, so this lockdown has been perfect for me because I can really obsess about it. So you're super hands-on and involved in the brand. And just, just quickly, it's available. I know you, you sell it online, but you're also um, retailing still on the high street because you've had great relationships with the high street. Yeah, we've been a Boots exclusive for 20 years. Um, and I think for the first 19 years, we was unable to uh, sell online. We could only sell through Boots stores. We've, we've now... Um, uh, renegotiate the contract and we can sell online. So we kind of, just before COVID happened, we'd set up, you know, our, our online store and we was starting to operate a bit like that. But fundamentally, most of my business has always been people going into store yeah. buying mm. products. Yeah. You're right. So have you seen a boost in the online sales? We have seen a boost in line, but I think a lot of people that really, that wasn't their major business, it's never going to make up for what people were buying in store mm. because historically that's how people shopped for your for your brand yeah. you know yeah. um, i mean it's definitely it's the way it's going online i mean there's no doubt about mm. that that's a whole new challenge because the only way it really works online is if you've got a marketing machine that's driving people yeah. Yeah. to so your website it. Yeah. to buy yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. it's yeah. a completely different way of shopping um yeah. and, and how yeah. you, you run a business is what i'm finding with that yeah, yeah. So, Phil, your story. So, likely you started with salon, a yep, salon, yep. and then you became a multi-franchisee, I think. Yeah. With it was, Tony it, and Guy. Tell it us was your story. A, I mean, my thing was right place at the right time. There was no sort of, I'm brilliant and this is what I'm going to do. It was, you know, Tony and Guy were, you know, opening salons at a vast rate. And I, and I spotted this and I was, I don't know, uh, lucky enough to be involved in, in 28 shops eventually. Um what I did notice, and I, you know, I, I, I have so many people that I admire and I follow and I copy um, throughout the industry. And uh, you know, I watched the whole Charles Worthington story from start to finish, how he had salons and how he opened yeah. a salon in New York just to promote this brand. And, um, and I, I love that story. I, I noticed there was a change in salons at around 2003, 2004 time. Rents were not just going up, they were sort of jumping up. Mm. Salaries, you know, you couldn't pay somebody £250 anymore. You know, the starting base salary for a hairdresser was three fifty, four hundred pounds a week. I noticed costs were going up. And when you sort of have, it was around 600 staff that we had in the group um, and 28 rents, your costs are, are rocketing. So I, I, I noticed very, very quickly um, financially this isn't going to change mm. and, and I will need to do something otherwise I'm going to be out of business in the next four or five years. Um, 
I, I focused on the, the sort of British hairdresser of the year route and, I, and I, I put my attention to that. Again, hugely lucky that I was part of this Tony and Guy machine. So the, um, the things that were on offer to me were you know, fantastic and, and it enabled me to, to further my career in that respect. Um, I think it was about 2006, I was the only British nominee um, that didn't have their name on a, on a product. So you had, you know, for example, Sasha Moscolo, uh, you had Mark Hill, you, you know, lots of different people. You had Lee Stafford, um, and it was Sainsbury's approached me out of the blue. Uh, in fact, through Julie Bellinger, funnily enough, um, would I be interested in in endorsing a product? And of course, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. And uh, I, I had this huge sort of three four month conversation with Tony Moscolo as to how we can do this because you know within Tony and Guy they had their own product, yeah, they had course. their own brand. I was part of that brand and to come out of that a little bit was, you know, it was change for everybody. Mm. Um, the, the, the long story short, uh, Tony agreed. Um, it was a business transaction with Tony. You know, he, he made some money from it as well as I did. Um, but the first year of that product, it, it bombed. Um, and at the same, so we're now into sort of mid 2007. The business I noticed was in a, not in a horrendous place. We were still making good money. But it was, you know, your profit margins were dropping, you know, sometimes double digits. It, it was really tough. Um, so at that point, Sainsbury said to me, look, the, the product that we wanted you to endorse, it hasn't worked, but we like you. There's a space on the shelf. If you want to come to us with something that you sell into us and you run it as your own business, we'd be interested in keeping you on. So I, I, I jumped at it and, and likely I, I formed a, a partnership with a, a company where they um, they made it on my behalf, but I was involved in every single element. Uh, again, I've been so lucky in my career that I think I was probably one of the last to get their name on a, on a product, to, to get shelf space within a, you know, a, a big high street store. And, and uh, my, my sort of vision of salons came true in 2008, 2009, you know, the, the whole world crashed uh, financially. Um, and from that point on, salons were just plummeting in in um, in, in their their profit, and staff costs were going up. I noticed there was people were starting to do hair at home a lot more, um, so I just knew that my future and my family's future, and if I wanted to live the life that I, I set about trying to achieve, I I had an opportunity with a product range, mm -hmm. and um, and it was at that point. So two thousand and ten, I, I I pulled away from the the salons. Um, it took about a year to to achieve that. But I said about taking my brand over, um, taking it out of a license deal and running it myself. If I knew then what I know now, would I have done that? Because it, it's been financially painful. Mm. I mean, the, nobody, I don't think, understands the amount of capital you need. I mean, Lee will understand. Um, but it's it's massive, the amount of money you need to put into this to make it run. You know, you're, you're dealing with, a. In, in my case, Sainsbury's, we're in over a thousand stores now in, in this country. And to have enough stock in warehouse, enough stock in Sainsbury's holding facility, then in Sainsbury's warehousing facility, and then in their store, I mean, you're talking, it's well over a million pound of stock I need at any one time just to run the Sainsbury's side of things. But tell me this, Phil, Go on. because you came out of that licensing deal. Yeah. Yeah. And did you own the formulations or did you have to formulate yeah. again? I thought I owned the formulations, Lee. And at the 11th hour, uh, the manufacturer in those days said, actually, you don't. They belong to the license. So uh, I went through it. It was a, a very messy um, legal procedure. 
Um, again, cost an absolute fortune. The, the lawyers on both sides did very well out mm. of us, out of me. And no good for your mental health. It was, you know, it, yeah. it was tough. But like I say, life is, is all about learning. And I think if, if you don't have a challenge, you, you don't live, do you really? Yeah. You know, you need to experience good and bad. Mm. And, and uh, t- um, Tell me this, Phil. Now you've come out of that licensing yeah. deal. And I know there's a lot of capital and a lot of quick learning to get yeah. up to speed yeah. with it all. <laughs> but... Um, are you happy where you are now oh, as an owner? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what, Lee? Worth every second of the pain. Um, mm. And, and it, mm. it, you know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't just happen. And sometimes I get, not angry, but uh, when people just think, oh, you've just put your name on a bottle. It's a, an off-the-shelf formulation. It's, mm. it's easy what you do. It can't, how hard can that be? Mm. Um, you know, every single day there's issues and problems. But I wouldn't swap mm. it for the world. Um, what what do you find rewarding mm. about it then? What's the bit that you say it's worth it's worth doing? Oh, uh, well, obviously or... there's a there's a there's a financial reward, of course. If you run your company correctly, you know it doesn't take much to to be in a disaster zone either. Um, I I still get really excited. Like I said, I've I've always been fairly lucky, and when I see my product, you know, for example, um, yesterday I was in a little town called Bawtry in in South Yorkshire. I was visiting a uh, visiting a good mate. And the Sainsbury's local store there, I went in to buy some squash, of all things. And, you know, on the little shelf by the till, there's accessories and there's a Phil Smith brush. And I, I love that. You know, I'm 51 years old now, but I get excited when I see that. So that's the biggest reward, I think, any hairdresser could experience in their career. Very, very lucky. A, a tiny handful of us have got to um, experience that. Yeah. So I'll never, it's ever funny, you know, take Phil, for granted. Yeah, you on. say that about looking at your products, yeah. right? I remember the first time I ever went into Boots with my partner at the time, Graham Riddick, and uh, to look at it, and we had 12 products on one shelf, I think it was, and, um, and I looked at them, and I looked at Charles Worthington with the whole gondola next to me. <laughs> the first thing I said was, how comes he's got all that space? You know what I mean? So I wasn't excited, I was disappointed that someone had more space. Yeah. And then I go into stores now and I've got all this space and now I'm worried about losing the space. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, it's, it never changes. It's never ending. So coming back to diversification. So, Lee, you had your salon um, in, in Essex in the mid-90s, I seem to remember. Was that when you had your first? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, from there, you then had the small salon in Soho. And then you went. You've had the academies. Do you? But you've moved away from practicing hairdressing now, or do you still work as a hairdresser? Well, I mean, I think Sheffield. The move to Sheffield was when it really cut for me doing hair. Right. Because up until that point, I was still doing clients, um, not many, you know. But I'd probably still do, you know, five or ten a week, possibly. You know, so I was still kind of on the tools doing some clients. I was still going around all my academies doing demonstrations and shows and what have you. Um, you know, I was still working with Redkin as an ambassador. So I was still kind of on the tools, but I wasn't, you know, in the salon knocking it out like I had been for the first 20 years of my career, right. you know. Um, but I think moving to Sheffield now, you know, my clients, especially with COVID, I mean, but even before that, you know, doing clients stopped. Um, and I'm really not much, you know, I'm not on the tour. What about you, Phil? Are you on the tour um, much these days? Do you know what? Uh, again, very similar to you. So I, I opened a little salon. So I, I launched my, my Phil Smith hair care brand. And then um, another opportunity came up for some more space in Sainsbury's a few years ago now. And But they wanted a, a, a bit more of a concept, a more professional hair care brand. 
which is how my my sort of Smith England, you know, sort of naturally no mm, mineral oils story. I love it. it. It's a great story, but it it, it means t- to keep the story credible, I have to keep doing hair. So my my lovely little salon in Salisbury makes absolutely no money at all. It's a it's a it's a loss maker. <laughs> it has been from day one, um, but it's a tool that I use to keep this sort of salon brand yeah story story alive. I mean, Lee, you've got like you say twenty years of um. Of, of brand recognition i didn't really have that so i need to, to to build that but i've made a decision since this uh this horrible thing that we're going through at the moment and it's really hit me hard i don't like it at all um but literally as of last week i've i've bought and we're due to exchange in the next sort of week uh, a little cottage in cornwall oh, um, in port in port isaac tiny little house um, i've had this desire just to go and live somewhere else for a long time um, but i've realized over this last three four months that you can work from anywhere doing what we do lee um you just need a computer that's it that's all you need um, and how much is it how many people are in your team phil there's seven people in my little salon the products uh, oh in my team four four people four for full-time people four full-time people and do you think that you can run a brand now um predominantly over the internet like we're doing now right, so uh, just listen to you at the start we, we started our online thing like like you Sainsbury's wouldn't allow me to do mine uh, up until sort of early last year so we, we built the website built the transactional side of it and um it was ticking over up until march of this year literally ticking over but it was all in place we were there we're ready to go since lockdown mm. literally from the minute lockdown happened it's increased 25 30 times to what we were doing before mm. so that the amount of money the the brand has taken just purely being run from my little shop here which we now need to move to a proper warehouse facility um, but but it, it's it's three times what the salon would normally turn over in a month a phenomenal mm. change of people's mentality uh, yeah but don't you mm. think both of you um your names are on your products and you are hairdressers, whether you're working as hairdressers or not. So that is, and you, you said the word there, it gives you authenticity and integrity, Phil, to a product line. So if neither of you was to be involved with the craft of hairdressing again, do you not see that impacting on the future of the yeah. brand at some point? Because, yeah. I mean, brands I, like I, people, I, do you know, don't they? You need, Nikki, I, I, you need I a think, person. I think, Lee and I, it's what, you know, fundamentally what we do is cut hair. And... Um, Sometimes, you know, I've, I've, I do clients now that I've done for 20 years, 25 years. They still come and see me from Bath, from Guildford. Um, it gets a bit, you know, there's only so long you can do something before you just, you know, want to bash your head against a wall at the end of it, yeah. Um, but again, there are some people, you know, there's clients I do in London um, and there's clients I do that I, I love seeing. And, you know, I, I think it's important that we keep cutting hair. I think as long as my brand has got, uh, is lucky enough to, to have space on a shelf, out there, I'll, I'll definitely cut hair, and I, I'm sure Lee is exactly the same. But but then but then you can look at it another way. I mean, you look at John Frieda, for example, yeah. which was one of the most successful. Yeah. Uh, you know. I want his space. <laughs> um, but you know, you know, I've, you know, John's been a good mentor of mine yeah. you know, over many years, and I've heard all the stories. And uh, you know, really, the minute that he launched his brand in America, he stopped doing hair. I didn't know that. He didn't do hair anymore. You know, he, he, he ended up employing the top people at that moment, like Sally Hirschberger, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And he did it that way. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's many ways to skin a cat. You look at Jen Atkin now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she really is promoting her brand yeah. through being on the tools and yeah. having that huge Instagram yeah. follower. A bit like, you know, Charlotte Tilbury, for example. But, um, you know, you get to the point where I am now, where, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'll, it, like, it's all consuming running a brand. You know, you can you literally sit there all day, 24 hours a day doing R&D, you know, for example, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and like, like Phil says, you know, if he's, if he's in charge of his brand now, I mean, there's, there's very little time to do hair. And the thing is, if you're not doing hair all the time, then you lose that touch, yeah. you know. And um, I'd rather put a crew of younger yeah. people together that, um, that represented me now. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm... I'm I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to kid myself, and, and I wouldn't want to put myself into a situation. Lee, I'm, I'm exactly I... the same. I, I, I think you know, there's only so long we can say we're young, trendy hairdressers. We're not anymore. Well, exactly. Um, we can say it as long as you like. We won't believe you. Yeah. But but well, exactly. what we both understand is how a product should work. Yeah. I still I still know that that will never yeah. leave me. And um, if, if for, for people yeah. that are listening to this, then, and we're talking about diversifying their brands, I mean, is there any space left on those shelves? Is there any opportunities for more product brands to open up? If someone would have told us you could have got three hundred pound for a hairdryer, is that how much these Dysons cost yeah. now, or yeah. or even one hundred and fifty pound for a pair of straighteners? We'd have said, you know, you, you, there's always space for someone that's yeah. doing something really different and yeah. exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Phil said, you know, the the doors of them supermarkets, you know, putting hairdressers' names on it, closed, you know, probably a good ten years mm. ago. Yeah. Don't there's no but but there's no there's no reason why someone couldn't. Um, you know, get in there again, yeah, but you don't right. really need the supermarkets now. The way me and Phil yeah. are distributing our products, would you believe is now called a traditional route? Yeah. Right, Selling yeah. it through a retailer. Really? And them kind of businesses are never going to sell for the kind of money that, say, Charlotte Tilbury is, because yeah. her business yeah. was driven yeah. untraditionally. Yeah. It, was dri- it was driven through websites, through social media, through yeah. you yeah. Know, her, her own domain um, business. Um, and that's where you reap all the rewards because if me and if me and Phil sell a product for ten pound in Boots or Sainsbury's, we've probably sold it into them for five pound. They've made five pound. Then you've got to make your margin out of five pound. When you sell it online for ten pound, so you're making lost. the whole thing, yeah. you know, um, and not and not being beholden to yep. a retailer because yep. they can they can batter you. Uh, blue and black, they can. It's, yeah. it's a reg- it's, it's sorry. It's a, a re- just uh, if I could say quickly, it's a regret of mine that I didn't get to know online three, four, five years ago. Yeah. Because I yeah. think I'd be in a completely mm. different place but now you've had, had I done your, your online sales have grown a lot considerably in, since lockdown, have they not? Yes, yeah, yeah huge. Uh, it, it's been, uh, like I say, phenomenal. What we've now got to do, uh, what, what we've now achieved is it's not just selling the product to me, it's getting people's data. Right. So that's the, that's the real value in this. Yeah. So we can now continue to target those people, keep sending them offers, promos, um, advice, newsletters, um, so we keep those sales, you know, consistent. If not, keep keep growing them. Do you get people contacting you as well? You know, hairdressers and yeah. people like that I, asking you about your success. It's it's it's, it's a real. I, I I'm not rude, but I do get. Um, I'll say for example, on Messenger, you probably get ten, fifteen people a week. Can you give me advice? Really? Yeah. On, on I want to do my own product. These are lovely hairdressers. You know, I I I love all all things in in the industry. It's been a really good kind industry to me um but you can't tell someone no. over a text message yeah do it this way because 
you can't tell someone over a week how no. to do it. it I'm, I'm still learning now mm. and it's, it's, it's exhausting, you know? Mm. I always say, if I was to give someone a little bit of a tip, and like Phil said, I mean, you know, it is exhausting and you, there's no way you could really give, you know, um, the answers in, like, in, 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 a, you know, in a Twitter post. But um, I always say that for me, when I launched my brand in Boots, um, 20 years ago, you know, you kind of feel like you've won the lottery. Yeah. You know, you start, you know, test driving, you know, Ferraris and looking at houses <laughs> in the Hamptons. You know, you get carried away with yourself. And then you quickly realise you've been thrown in the gladiator's ring with all these giants yeah. and you've got a toothpick yeah. to defend yourself. Yeah. And I was in Boots for six months and uh, got called up to the head office thinking I was going to go up there and drink tea and talk hair. And they basically said to me, if you don't double your sales in the next six months, you're out. Yeah. So one minute I was looking at houses in the Hamptons, then it was cardboard boxes outside Piccadilly <laughs> Circus. Yeah. And what we did in that six months, because I could have quite easily ended up in that graveyard full of you know, hairdressers that have, that have tried and failed in the past, but we brought out heat protection. And we were the first people in the yeah. world to bring out a, a product that protected hair against straightening irons, against heat. Yeah. Yeah. And that one product trebled our sales and saved us. And ever since then, I've always said to people, you know, me tooing is not gonna, is not gonna, you know, make, it's, it's not gonna get you anywhere. Yeah. Me tooing is basically just copying people. Yeah. I mean, you have to have traditional products like a whole tight hairspray and, you know, and what have you, but you've got to bring something new to do the you know, market. Do you know what, Lee? You can't bring I, something I'm, new. I'm obsessed with trying to find the next big ingredient. You know, you, you had uh, John Frieda did the, yeah. the frizzies. Yeah. You did your heat protection. Yeah. You know. Uh, argan oil, um, all these different great yeah. little ingredients that have just launched brands beyond recognition. Mm. Um, I'm obsessed with trying to find that. I mean, right. I think it. I think yeah. there's something in a plant in the countryside somewhere that you can extract yeah. and put into but, a product. And but the thing is, you see, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hear you there, Phil, and I'm, just, I'm like you, I'm, I obsess about it all the time. Yeah. That's this, we was going back to that R&D thing. Yeah. You could literally spend 24 hours a day yeah. doing R&D. But I think the thing with Arganol is that, um, you know, when we launched it, I think we were the first people to do Arganol in, hair, in, hair, in retail. Yeah. But we basically had just come off the back of Moroccan oil that yeah. done it yeah. uh, within the industry. And it was already a famous ingredient. Yeah. People knew that it was quality. Yeah. You know, it's the same with coconut. Yeah. You know, you launch coconut, everybody, it's the most Googled ingredient, beauty ingredient in the world. Everyone knows the benefit of, yeah. benefit of it. Mm. Yeah. You can get too clever and launch an ingredient that might be amazing, but no one's heard of it. Yeah, I know. And it's, so there's a just, there's a fine line with it all. So what's going to happen then? So traditionally, you know, salons would reckon to get a percentage of turnover from retail sales, you know, so do you think that's going to gradually or even suddenly go, you know, with the surge of online sales and online shopping? Do you think hairdressers have got to find something else? Yes, Nikki, is my answer to that. I, I think um, either the manufacturers need to give the salons much, much, much bigger margins. You know, what, what I do understand now, and I'm sure Lee is exactly the same, is um, how much these products cost to make from a, you know, a manufacturing point of view. And the level of ingredient, great ingredient that you put into them, and, and then the price point that they're retail for is the huge difference. The margins, there's certainly enough margin, in my opinion, to help the salons um, retail more. Um, right. If that model is, is how the salons work. You know, I see a lot of salons that do have fantastic retail offering. And, um, but, you know, if, if they could improve their margins by a pound of product, for example, 
it changes their life. They can yeah. keep their salon going, keep the people employed, yeah. keep the education going, which we all know is, is probably the most important thing. Without the education side, you can't run a great shop. Mm. Um, it, is it price that drives online sales? Do, do we shop online because it's cheaper? It, it's, it's, it's online because uh, promos happen. Every online channel from All Beauty to Feel Unique to HQ Hair, there's always some kind of offer. People are right. promo, offer savvy you know I'm, I'm sure i speak for a lot of people out there listening to this you you won't buy something unless it's on offer yeah uh, and that's definitely yeah. a, a way to to go forward or you compare i mean it's so easy to compare the prices now i mean that's yeah I literally, yeah i'll stand yeah. i'll stand in a shop and check if i can get it cheaper online yeah yeah i mean i'm a massive online shopper but if i do go into a real shop and obviously there's a convenience element <laughs> This is why I wish I'd have sort of focused more on online shopping when I took my brand over and, mm. and had that as a part of what we've got to do. I didn't. I left it a bit too late, but we're, we're working hard now. What ways can and should people be diversifying these days? I mean, Lee, you went into education side of things, both representing a brand and also then setting up your own in, in college academies or in academy salons. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is is that a, a an interesting route for other people to revisit, or would you say no? I mean, I think you know most hairdressers are excited about um, education, aren't they? Yeah. Either getting it or, or or giving it, you know. Yeah. And um, and I think that yeah, as much as education as you can do is gonna is gonna catapult your career without a doubt. Um, and you know, if you get yeah. really good at it, then you can travel the world and make yeah. some good money out of it, can't you? There's no yeah. doubt about that. Um, I don't know if it's a business you can end up selling. I mean, I'm sure some people have done that, built hairdressing education business that they've sold, you know. Um, I think the beauty of, of doing what you know me and Phil are doing is that you can really build something that you might be able to sell one day, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but, there, but, there's, but there's no doubt about it, though. I don't think that, you know, you've got to start off with, you know, creating a hundred products to begin with. No. Bedhead started with one product. It was a stick, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Look what the monster yeah. that turned into, yeah. you know? So anyone could, could yeah, start off just by creating one product. Yeah. You know, give it a fantastic name, yeah. you yeah. know what I mean? Do you um, manufacture in the UK? Yes, I do, yes. Yeah, that, so there's that, no worries going forward? No, um, I mean, it's at the moment, you know, most of my packaging is manufactured in the UK as well. There's tiny little components that you can't get in the UK because they don't make them. Um, so there has been a few issues there, but we're overcoming them. Um, I, I like the whole made in England thing. We're, we, you know, we're, we're British hairdressers and, and I think there's no reason why we shouldn't be making our stuff here. Um, and it's also, I think if you are passionate about what you do and you don't take it for granted, you do go out to where it's made and you do get involved and you do roll your sleeves up and you, you know, you should know as yeah. much about your product as the guy that's the chemist that's putting the, the, the formulation together yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, that's something I'm proud that I've always done. Well, especially as consumers are so much more savvy, aren't they, towards what's going in their products? Nowadays they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you're right. Exactly. So, uh, you know. Yeah. Kind of really keeps the well, they are and they're not. They are and they're not. They are, but then, you know, you hear so many people talking about, you know, cruelty-free products, for example, mm. right? And everyone's putting cruelty-free on their on, on their packaging. And the bottom line, it's been illegal to uh, to yep. test products on animals for years and years and years. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. Um, 
you know, they're savvy and they're not. It, it's, just, it's, a, it's a game. Yeah. The whole thing is just a game and yeah. it's a very interesting game to play. But when you talk about diversifying for, um, for you know, people working in the sound or sound loads, I think that if you're really passionate about what you do and you're always trying to get better at what you do and you're, you know, you're, you're feeling the fear and, and doing it anyway, then opportunities always come your way. Yeah. Yeah. Diverse, diver, diver, diversifying is just going to be a natural evolution. Thank you yeah, so thanks, much, guys. It's Absolute pleasure. Time. That's lovely. Thank you very much for joining the respectful podcast. Great to see you all. Yeah, yeah you too. Yeah. Nice to see you all. Thank you. Enjoy life in Sheffield. <laughs> bye, yeah, guys. Bye. bye, guys. See you later. Bye. And thank you to our guests, Phil Smith and Lee Stafford, talking about coming out of the salon and building brands and product lines and how their careers have diversified from being strictly on the tools, as Lee Stafford says. So that was amazing. So if you'd like to hear more in the Respectfully podcast series, then jump onto the iTunes library and seek Respectfully podcast. We have got lots of conversations recorded with amazing guests over the past couple of years. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us as it helps to drive us up the charts and build more visibility for hairdressing podcasts in the industry. Thank you very much.